You're listening to Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me, your naturally platinum blonde pop culture connoisseur. I'm the reality TV junkie, self-improvement addict, and host with only the hottest tea spilled fresh all week long. Those balls have gotten you into trouble, though. Oh, you? Yeah. They picked us because we're horny. Yeah. Right. And that's your chronic state. 24-7. <laughs> My life has changed so much that it's almost like a completely different life. From the latest news on The Real Housewives. I'm so happy to be here and engage with you. Deep dives into celebrity legal scandals and unfiltered convos with your favorite stars. I've got you covered. And yes, I always keep receipts. Welcome on in, welcome on in, welcome on in, guys. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. We had quite an eventful week with all of the scandal drama and the Vanderbump Rules reunion and then the Gwyneth Paltrow trial kicking off, which we'll break down today. I'll give you a bit of a scandal update um, where things stand with Vanderpump Rules. We're also going to talk about some Beverly Hills updates because we have some familiar faces that are joining the new season. Um, and then Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip Season 3 came out. And I have some thoughts about that. So what should we start with first? Maybe we should start with the scandal. That way we kind of get that all out of the way and everyone feels um, feels good. So that way they can dive into the other stuff. I'm excited about the Paltrow trial. I caught up on that over the weekend. I binged all of Emily D. Baker and her coverage and the live streams and all the YouTube clips and the highlights and all of that stuff. So if you're interested in the trial, I mean, I recap all of it later in this episode but if you're interested in it like I would suggest tuning in because it's actually quite interesting um so let's kick off with Scandaval though so after the Pump Rules reunion which filmed last Thursday that's when Tom Sandoval and Raquel Levis decided that they were going to have a nice little romantic date night out you know like just little cutie patooties that I guess are officially confirming their relationship so they were caught out at a spot in Hollywood a spot over in the valley that's called Musso and Frank's and they had a nice bottle of red wine they had some oysters there were some photos that TMZ posted onlookers at the restaurant also said that they were nice and cozy and that they were chatting about the reunion and I think Raquel even at one point was like oh my god I can't believe she said that So they're not being coy about it anymore, or I guess they never were really being that coy about it. But I guess now we know when to see them out that they're like officially going all in. It's unclear how this is going to impact Vanderpump Rules, though. I wonder if this is going to like make them pause the show a little bit considering like well one they put a pause between season eight and season nine right but that's obviously when all the firings happened so it made sense that they took a year off but then they also put in a pretty big chunk of time in between season uh nine and season 10 right because season 10 that's currently airing they had like months off even when the randall scandal broke even when the uh katie and tom divorce happened they didn't immediately start rolling cameras so they picked up and ended up getting great content but it's i'm curious to see if they'll continue to like put a little pause and a break which might be smart considering tom and raquel are kind of like really isolated from everybody else in the group naturally i know ariana was reportedly um she's saying that she has no that she hashed out everything she needed to say to Tom and Raquel, but at this point she has no intention of ever filming with them again in the future. Unclear of how big of a threat that that actually is and whether or not production will decide to move forward with her or with Tom and Raquel. Do we want to see Tom and Raquel on the new season? Like, do we want to see their relationship continue to develop? 
are we interested in that? Are they too villainous that we wouldn't want to? Because I know like reality TV and the consumer and what we want to see, like that's all changed so much that I don't even know if that's something people would be interested in is watching their relationship together. It doesn't look like any of the other cast members have any interest in like pursuing a friendship with them moving forward. Unclear of where they both stand with Tom Schwartz. Obviously, Sandoval and Schwartz will have to have some sort of relationship because they have Schwartz and Sandys together. But other than that, I don't really know. But production as of right now, from what's been reported, things seem to be up in the air. They don't know who they want to bring back. They don't know what the plans for the future of the show are going to be. So it's possible that we won't get Vanderpump Rolls cameras rolling again for a while. And I think that's fine. I think everybody right now needs a little bit of a break. It was a very emotional couple of weeks. We just kind of need to put a pause on things. They're going to have to relive it as it airs on the show. They're going to have to relive it when the reunion comes out in May. So maybe we just take the summer off, right? We take off May, take off June, take off July, and maybe start rolling again come August. That might actually be kind of like a smarter decision. Um, just kind of give everybody a chance to breathe some fresher air before we decide what we're going to do moving forward. I know Jax, when he was on Watch What Happens Live, teased that the producers were talking about possibly doing a show with all of the Vanderpump parents. I know that that was an idea that Stasi outed a couple months, or actually I guess like about a year ago now because her book came out last April. And on her book tour, she revealed that they were planning on doing Valley Rules, which was supposed to focus on all of the people on Vanderpump Rules that were no longer servers and that they were going to transition Vanderpump Rules to be focused on younger blood. I can actually see them doing that. You know, I can see them rebooting that model and maybe bringing Jax and Brittany back into the equation. We'll have, I don't think Stassi will do it, but we'll have, um, Lala on that show. We'll have Sheena on that show. Like some of the veterans, I think we'll move on over the veterans that are no longer attached to Sir. And I think it's a good way to kind of reboot Vanderpump Rules and take it back to the original roots that we fell in love with. And that gives Charlie an opportunity to really shine and be the star. I personally don't like her, but I know a lot of people do. And I think she's can make good TV. So I think that gives her an opportunity to kind of lead and anchor a Vanderpump Rules reboot and then possibly doing a Valley Rules. Like, I think the concept was good. I always thought that was the direction they should go in. I considered maybe like a Tom Tom spinoff. I think at this point, that's not much of an option for them. Um, a Tom Tom spinoff just can't. I just don't think will work anymore. I don't think anyone's interested in the Toms. And I don't know how much longer Schwartz and Sandys is going to stay afloat. So... We'll see what happens with that. Um, okay, let's talk about Real Housewives Ultimate Girls Trip Season 3. So the first three episodes dropped last Thursday. Nobody really knew because of the the scandal drama and the, the Vanderpump Rules reunion taping. But it's here, right? Um, I watched the first three episodes. I got a little Liddy City on Thursday or Friday, and I watched them a little lit, and I was just, like, not really that interested or hooked, and then I tried to rewatch them again on Sunday or Saturday, Sunday, Sunday morning, and with sober coffee eyes, it was actually not as bad as I think we were expecting season three to be. It's not great. I think it's kind of awkward. These women don't seem to have much chemistry. And the weird thing is we see this like Giselle versus Candace beef and we see this Heather versus Whitney beef. But like we've already seen BravoCon play out and them fighting on stage. And then we've already seen the reunions play out, which we know BravoCon and the filming of the reunions happen after 
they taped Ultimate Girls Trip. So to me, I'm like, we already know the status of their relationships. That Like, I don't know if I want to see them hash out fights. Like, I understand how Bravo doesn't want leaks to happen while a season is airing because then we find everything out and we don't get to enjoy it in real time. But it's like, not only do we not get to enjoy Ultimate Girls Trip in real time of like what they're filming with that drama, but we also know where everything's at in present time because we saw them at BravoCon and we saw them at... um at uh, the reunions and like the Jen Shaw stuff, like they, in episode one, they immediately start grilling Heather Gay about Jen Shaw and about her being right or die. And she's like giving her raw reaction to Jen Shaw pleading guilty. But it's like, are we interested in that? And then we see Heather kind of giving a little bit more information on the black eye situation. And we finally hear the cabinet story in the bathroom. And she thinks that she banged it on the cabinet. Giselle makes a really good point of being like, well, a cabinet doesn't come out and just like punch you and give you a black eye like that. So everyone seems to kind of be on the same page and in the same consensus that um, they don't believe that Heather's black eye was caused by a cabinet that they really think Jen Shaw is the one that hit her, which... I think is the only thing that makes the most sense at this point. Um, or the, I mean, the cabinet story does kind of make sense, but like a cabinet isn't going to do that kind of damage. So maybe Jen really did punch her. I don't know. But the show itself, okay, the first three episodes, are they good? Are they worth watching? I wouldn't say it's something that I'm necessarily looking forward to watch every week. No. Ultimate Girls Trip season one and season two, I looked forward to every Thursday there being a new episode. And this is more of just like, it's like to me how I'm treating Summer House this season, right? Like it's there, it's on the DVR. If I have a little extra time and I want some kind of, you know, decent television, sure, I'll watch it. But I'm not like uber excited for it. Was it better than what I was expecting? I guess, but it's only because my expectations weren't very high. My expectations for the show were like bottom of the barrel, very low. But the weird part is like the cast has no chemistry. None of them. I mean, Giselle and Portia have a bit of a banter, but I think that's somewhat of an unfair advantage for them because they have a history together of working together that like that unfair advantage usually should come with like a Marisol and Alexia, which it is because they're on a show together and they're friends. But I don't know. The whole thing's weird. I feel like Portia has been outside of the housewives world that like, it's interesting to kind of see her try to reacclimate, but I think she also has a really big ego. She's definitely the star of the show. I'll give her that. She definitely has a really strong presence on the show. And I think production set her up by making her the one who kind of is the narrator right out the gate from episode one. We have Leah. A lot of people, there's mixed reviews about Leah. Some people really like her. Some people really don't. I think Leah is the least housewivesy of all of them. I think she's the one that's the most authentic and organic on camera, but it reads differently because it feels like the other women have, like they all know how to play the housewives game. So it feels like they're all trying to play the housewife game and throw shade and take jabs at each other and try to, you know, catch each other in a lie. And so Leah is the one that's the most organic, but I think it comes off very forced because it's so different from the game everybody else is playing on the show. I do get, and you can empathize and relate to Leah and Candace though, because they talk about how like they have anxiety of being away from home and not really knowing any of the other women and how it's like a weird setting. And so I kind of, I do get that. There's not the camaraderie that we had from season one, right? Like in season one, 
the girls all kind of came together. They got to relate as being OGs and they got to kind of grow through that and they got to have this fun vacation experience together. Here, it doesn't feel like they want to have any fun. Season two was total chaos and they were all chaotic personalities that you knew it was just going to be fireworks from day one and it was and you knew what to expect and they all came and delivered in that sense. Season three, I'm like, it's housewives on vacation. Like, let them have a vacation and have fun. But it feels like everybody's just trying to, like, cause a moment. And it feels like we're trying too hard to be housewives rather than just organically being housewives in this moment. Maybe it's the setting of being on a vacation with people you don't really know and you're supposed to kind of, like, forge these connections. But it was interesting for sure. Um Again, not necessarily looking all that forward to it. Episode three was fine. I thought Candace's ladyboy night was weird. Uh, the yacht party or the yacht, like all of the moments that all the housewives are hosting are kind of just lackluster and they kind of fall secondary to the drama that ensues. But again, the core drama, I mean, is Leah not getting along with anybody? Boring. Um, Whitney and Heather fighting again about not being there for Whitney's trauma and the black eye and like all of that, which we've seen play out a million times, Giselle and Candace and the Chris Bassett of it all. And how Giselle, you know, alluded to him assaulting her or like feeling uncomfortable and that's drama. But we already know how that all settled at the reunion. So, and then Pepsi. Okay. They have the, the Butler, the concierge, which we had in season one and season two. And obviously we've now found out that the butlers from season one and season two or the concierge from season one and two were cast on the show, right? There was a casting call. We found them. They worked in entertainment, whatever. They weren't actual butlers. They weren't actual service workers. Um, whereas in this case, I feel like Pepsi's kind of putting on it. Like, I don't know if I believe that this is really Pepsi. He's funny and it's cute, but I kind of feel like he's forcing the act and the shtick a little bit. It doesn't feel entirely honest and genuine. He's too good at confessionals for me to believe that he's genuinely this character. You know, I mean, I believe that there are people that are just big personalities that play well on camera. I'm just a little skeptical that he probably answered some sort of casting call and wants to be famous and was like, oh, all these housewives are coming to Thailand and I'm going to get my TV time and my TV credits and whatever. I'm pretty sure if somebody looks him up, they'll find him on an IMDb something. But the whole season three just doesn't feel organic. It doesn't mesh. It feels awkward. It feels displaced. And it feels like everybody's like just trying to really force it. And it's just not as fun to me. I'll still watch it. It didn't turn me off entirely. But again, it's not something I'm looking forward to every week. Okay, let's talk about Real Houses of Beverly Hills. Beverly Hills. That's where I want to be. So in Beverly Hills land, it looks like we have some old faces coming on back. And no, we didn't get Brandy this season because she's still caught up in all of her drama with Ultimate Girls Trip season four. But it looks like we got a Camille Grammer cameo. We got a Denise Richards cameo, possibly a Cynthia Bailey cameo. Kyle Richards hosted a dinner party. She invited some people over, those people being Denise Camille and Cynthia Bailey. Um, I know there are also some rumors that possibly Joyce from season four, uh, she might be resurfaced as well, not in a big capacity, but it was rumored that she filmed this scene with Garcelle. Uncertain if that's actually true or not, but at least with Denise and the other two, 
That is confirmed. I do know Denise has filmed a couple of times this season. I'm not sure if she's going to be a friend of or if she's just going to be making a couple of guest appearances, but she's definitely not a diamond holder. We've seen all the diamond holders on all of the cast trips. Uh, Camille, we saw them. Camille posted some photos of her getting ready and then some photos of cameras and at Kyle's dinner party. Uh, Kyle posted an Instagram story where you can overhear Denise talking in the back. And then if you zoom in, you can see Denise's place card at the table. And then Cynthia Bailey posted a selfie and uh, tagged that she was in Beverly Hills. She was all dressed up. Sutton Strack commented and is like, I can't believe we didn't take a photo together. So it's also, you know, we're assuming that she went to Kyle's dinner party as well. The Joyce thing, I don't know. I haven't been able to confirm that. I've tried to. I've been asking around. But either people are being really coy about Joyce's big return or that's just some low-budget tea. I would think, if anything, if Joyce were around, maybe that she was at the same event as Garcelle. But I just don't think that there would be a need for Joyce and Garcelle to kind of have a conversation as it relates to the show because Joyce doesn't really know any of the women on the show other than Kyle. Because I think all the others are no longer on the cast. So... Joyce wasn't there with Dorit or Erica or Garcelle or Sutton. So, yeah, I don't know how Joyce would even fit into any of that. But, yeah, I don't know if anybody's interested in Denise Camille. I mean, Cynthia might be kind of interesting just because it's new and it's different. I don't care about Denise returning because to me, I'm like, what is the point? Like, why do we want Denise back? Because Denise didn't want to live her life authentically on camera. She wanted to hide. She did Bravo, Bravo, Bravo. And yes, Bravo, 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 like was a great moment in Housewives history. But like, it's not what you want from a reality star. Someone that blocks Brandy Glanville from coming in the reunion. We want the reunion to be messy and confrontational. Why are you going to let her block Brandy from coming on? Someone that wants to send a cease and desist and try to have things taken out of the show. Like, yeah, it was interesting for the storyline of it all, but it's not what you want from a reality star. And it's something, it's behavior that I would expect her to continue to, like, to continue to keep up if she does return to the show. So to me, that's not interesting. Camille, I think, always is good TV. Sometimes it does feel a little forced, but Camille knows how to deliver. And this is what tells me that maybe the season is struggling. If we need to bring back Denise and we need to bring back Camille especially, that tells me that there's probably not a whole lot going on. So we need someone to come in and try to stir the pot. We see it happen all the time. Every time Camille comes back, it's usually because we want Camille to do something. We want her to be a circus seal and to clap for us and to make some waves. Because the other ladies probably aren't fighting all that much or they probably aren't giving much rich I don't know what's going on in any of their lives um other than Erica's Vegas residency Kyle's sober and working out um don't know what's going on with Dorit Garcelle had her film come out don't know what's going on with Sutton don't know what's going on with Crystal so I don't know what we're really getting from the show this season so maybe we do need them to come back but like really them Denise and Camille of all of them just, I would rather see LVP come back because at least that would be interesting seeing her trying to hash out some of her beef with the other cast members. But those is my updates on Housewives and Vanderpump. And now I want to get into all of the, the Paltrow of it all. So why is Gwyneth Paltrow on trial? Let's dive in, shall we? 
So this week, she kicked off her trial in Utah because there's a man, a retired optometrist by the name of Terry Sanderson. He is suing Gwyneth Paltrow for negligence in a ski collision that happened in Utah where he claims that she recklessly crashed into him, coming down on a ski slope, which caused four broken ribs, a brain injury, and all of this led to some emotional distress, so much so that he is no longer able to enjoy his life anymore. He also claims that after she crashed into him, she immediately left the scene and left him unconscious face down in the snow for about five to ten minutes. How you're unsure if, five, if it's five minutes or ten minutes, I feel like that's that's kind of tough. I feel like five minutes and ten minutes, there's there's quite a big difference. You know, every, you know, every gentleman in the bedroom knows quite the difference between five and ten minutes, and so do the ladies, I'm sure. But he was unconscious in the snow after getting struck from behind. But he remembers that it was Gwyneth Paltrow that's the one that struck him from behind and then left while he was unconscious. So, mm, I have questions. When did this happen? All the way back in February 2016. So that's over seven years ago at this point. He didn't even end up filing his lawsuit until 2019. And this is where he hosted a press conference announcing his plans to sue Gwyneth Paltrow for $3 million. The case has now moved to trial after, you know, the past few years, and he is now only suing her for 300000 in damages versus the initial $3 million. So she's now counter-suing him for, drumroll please, get ready for it, she is now counter-suing him for $1 plus the reimbursement of her attorney's fees. So all she is, part, she's claiming that all she's getting from this trial is the $1 bill and he, and uh, she wants him to pay back everything that she's paying for her attorneys right now. Her version of the events is very different from his version of the events. She claims that he's the one that skied into her from behind, which caused them both to fall over. She got upset with him for crashing into her, and then she yelled at at him, you crashed into my fucking back, to which he responded, according to her, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Then she allowed her ski instructor, Eric Christensen, who worked at the resort that they were both skiing at, to handle whatever happened next. Exchange of, you know, the information, file a report, you know, all of that sort of stuff. Christensen said, I'll handle this. You go on. She's like, yes, I'm used to people kind of handling things. You have managers, you have agents, you have assistants that usually do that. So to me, it wasn't weird for me to, you know, assume that he was going to take care of this, right? Mr. Sanderson, the plaintiff is now claiming that he has a friend that witnessed the whole thing and detailed exactly what happened and that Gwyneth Paltrow was not paying attention because she was too busy watching her son, who was uphill. She was too busy watching him ski, which caused her to collide into Mr. Sanderson and smash him into the snow and then leave him there unattended for five to ten minutes unconscious with his broken ribs. But I'm like, did you not check, like, the friend. I'm like, did you not check on your friend? Like, you just let Gwyneth Paltrow leave the scene while your friend was unconscious face down in the snow for 10 minutes? And that's, like, a long time to, like, leave your friend. Like, here's the thing. If I see my friend and I see somebody else, I can't tell if it's Gwyneth Paltrow or not, right? Because I'm assuming, you know, with ski gear and whatnot. But anyway, you see somebody crash into your friend, like, literally slam them into the snow, don't you immediately run over and you're like, first of all, hey, no, you're not going to just walk away from the scene. Like, we need to file a, a, a report. But then also that I'm also going to be checking on my friend and be like, hey, are you okay? 
boom, boom, slap in the face, wake up. Okay, maybe not that. That's a bit dramatic. It's a bit of a of a hyperbolic stretch for comedic effect, but like that's a long time to just leave your friend face down in the snow and allow Gwyneth Paltrow to just walk off and leave the scene. So at this point, the case is a he said, she said, because whoever is the one that was closest to the bottom of the ski slope is the one with the right of way. So up here, down here, Gwyneth is claiming this was her. Uh, Mr. Sanderson is claiming this was him and the other person came and crashed into them. Whoever, basically like a, like a, sort of like a vehicle collision. Um, Like if the person behind is the one that strikes the person in front, they're the ones that are responsible because the one in front of you has the right of way. That's the case in this situation. And according to the laws of the ski slopes, this is where we're at. So Gwyneth Paltrow took the stand on Friday. Mr. Sanderson is set to take the stand next week. And so far, we've seen Mr. Sanderson's friend who's come out, not the friend that witnessed the... We we did see the friend that witnessed the incident, but we also saw another one of his friends come forward and talk about how, you know, Terry's become a lot more angry and a lot more frustrated since the accident. He no longer enjoys his life since the accident. We've heard from Mr. Sanderson's neurologist, Dr. Bomi, He's talked about his, you know, brain condition prior to the accident and since the accident. We've also heard from two of Mr. Sanderson's daughters who testified to his behavior and his quality of life post-accident. Now, I do believe that he had an accident and the accident likely led to a TBI, a traumatic brain injury. I believe that. But I don't know if I'm fully convinced that Gwyneth Paltrow is the one at fault for the accident and that, you know, it's going exactly how he's claiming that it's going. She's very clear that he slid into her back and knocked them both over. And she also claims to have possibly fallen on top of him as a result of the collision, but she did not cause the collision. And because she didn't cause the collision and she was the one in front of him, she claims that she had the right of way and he's the one that crashed into her. She doesn't claim to have any major injuries. She said that she was a little sore. She decided to take off the rest of her ski day, resulting in her losing a full day of skiing, which she paid for. She paid for the full day. Now, a lot of people are trolling her about this, and I get it. It's funny for her to be like, yeah, the most damage I had was losing half a day of skiing. It's funny. It's cute. It's cheeky. Some people are standing her for it, and I'm kind of like, yeah, stand her. But at the same time, like, Yes, that is technically the damage that she's claiming in her countersuit, but this is a big key piece of her case because this is a negligence case. And in any negligence case, you have to prove in order to prove negligence, you have to be able to prove damages. So technically, you know, this loss of fee that she had to pay for a full ski day is considered the damages here. There has to be some sort of monetary damage. Now, as I mentioned earlier, she's not suing for the full cost of the ski day. She's only suing for $1, which is pretty much, it's a symbolic, you know, number. She doesn't really care to get that $1. She doesn't really care to get the full ski day paid back. She doesn't care about the money. All she really cares about is Mr. Sanderson wasting her time and dragging her name through the press by putting on this whole ruse of a lawsuit. She's also wanting him to reimburse her for her attorney's fees, which, again, she doesn't need. But I listen, if I had to go to court after you crashed into me and now you're dragging my name through the press and you're taking me to court, like, yeah, I would be a little pissed and be like, yeah, I want you to pay for my attorney's fees, too. So her attorney, Owens, I wouldn't say he's that great, though. Um, he's definitely, like, not serving Elle Woods. He's kind of all over the place in his arguments and his line of questioning. And it's also, like, unclear what points he's trying to make in some of his line of questioning. You can... Uh, uh, visibly 
see her get a little annoyed and frustrated with him at times. You can just kind of see it in her face. Um, At one point, I guess she even told him to land the plane during his questioning of one of Sanderson's daughters. She said this to him during the recess, but he then after the recess came back into the courtroom and announced, he's like, yeah, I'm going to wrap up my line of questioning here because my client would like me to land the plane. So I thought that it was kind of odd that he even bothered to reveal that in court, but whatever. So... How she ended up with him, who knows, because he's really not amazing. I'm thinking, like, Gwyneth Paltrow has a lot of money and a lot of resources that she can hire a really good attorney. Like, she could hire Robert Kardashian if she wanted to. But she ended up with Owen. So, I mean, cute for him. The uh, Sanderson, his legal team, they have, they've got a little more charisma. There's one woman, the one that ended up questioning Gwyneth Paltrow when she actually took the stand. She had some better direction of, like, what she was trying to accomplish. She had a little more spunk. She seemed a little more... I mean, she was definitely flustered, and she seemed to be a fangirl, but she seemed to have a little more control over at least the direction that she was trying to take the line of questioning in. There was this, like, odd moment where, you know, she, like, wanted to reenact the collision with Gwyneth in the courtroom for the jury to watch, which was kind of weird, and the judge denied it. She, like, wanted Gwyneth Paltrow to come off the stand and, like, act out this weird collision. And I'm just like, this is interesting. One, you're not on skis. You're not – you don't have a helmet on. You don't have goggles on. Um, you're on a flat level, whereas if you were on a slope, it wouldn't be a flat level. So it was just weird that she would want to like reenact a collision where she would basically be putting her body up against Gwyneth Paltrow's body and potentially knocking her over in some weird way. But the judge denied it. Uh, some other bits that made headlines were when Gwyneth was claiming that she thought that she was experiencing a sexual assault or possibly a practical joke. This was one little piece of her prior deposition, which in this testimony, she then clarifies when being questioned on the stand that she didn't accuse Mr. Sanderson of assault necessarily. It's just one of the many things that went through her head in that split second when she felt a body press up against hers from behind and she was trying to reconcile what was going on. She said that it wasn't much of an abrupt impact, but it was more of a dull, you know, sort of like, I don't know what, I mean, a dull impact. But she remembers his skis sliding in between her skis, which caused them both to fall over. She's very clear and very detailed about what she remembers happening. And her story seems pretty solid, right? Like, it doesn't change. She doesn't mince words. She's very clear. If there's something that is unclear in her testimony, she very much is happy to kind of clarify that. So she's also not contesting any sort of collision, nor is she overreaching for damages. She's very clear that she was a little sore after the collision and was just very annoyed with Mr. Sanderson for crashing into her. She went to go get a massage and move on with her day, but it did impact the rest of her ski day, which she paid a full day for. She's not claiming that he physically harmed her um, other than feeling a little sore and maybe her knee felt like it was a little overworked from when they fell over. Whereas Mr. Sanderson's story is a little more vague and a little more grand, right? Like, I get it. He has a traumatic brain injury. Maybe his memory is going to be a little fuzzy. But he's going off of, for the most part, what his friend saw. And his friend was 40 feet away from what was going on. But also... Again, if the friend saw all this, why would he just let Gwyneth Paltrow ski away so negligently? Why would he even leave his friend in the snow unconscious without checking on him for so long? The whole case to me feels like a major cash grab. It's like a smash and grab, right? It's like we're back in 2020 and we're, you know, trying to break into Louis Vuitton on Rodeo Drive. 
Her team tries to set the foundation that he's fame hungry and they even show emails that he sent to his daughters about being famous and, you know, how he was tracking his press mentions when this all got announced. And they also reference that he has poor vision. He's blind in one eye and he's had previous bouts of anger in the past and he's had a history of of um, not TBI, not traumatic brain injuries, but like he's had other issues that have happened in the past. So it's interesting because at the start, Sanderson's legal team didn't want to have some of his previous bad acts outed in court, and they wanted to prevent Gwyneth's, Gwyneth's, Gwyneth's team from exposing that. But there's also like this big question of this GoPro footage that would have caught the incident, but I guess it doesn't exist. Sanderson in his emails to his daughters does reference Go- GoPro footage that would have been caught from the accident if somebody nearby happened to have had a GoPro on and were facing that direction. But so far, no such footage seems to actually exist. So the jury will now have to determine who caused the in- the injury, who caused the collision that resulted in injury, and then they get to vote on the actual negligence, but the judge is the one that will determine the damages. So they'll determine who's at fault and and to what degree, and then the judge will determine how much that party has to pay out to the other party, if anything, right? So from what I've seen and heard so far, I think I'm definitely leaning towards Team GP because Sanderson, I just, I don't believe that she crashed into him. She's also, he's also not very reliable, right? He's blind in one eye. He has a TBI, so his memory might not be all there. I'm not trying to sound ableist or anything, but like, come on, call a spade a spade. He's blind in one eye. He was wearing goggles. He he saw her from behind if his story checks out. Also, like... The friend who apparently witnessed this was 40 feet away, but like he remembers from a distance seeing Gwyneth Paltrow and Gwyneth Paltrow's son saying, mommy, mommy, look at me, look at me, to which she turned uphill to look at her son. And then all of a sudden, that's when she accidentally crashed into him. He also claims that she let out this grand scream as if, you know, somebody was accidentally crashing. Like, I don't know. It was just, it was a weird, like broad and semi-vague account of what happened whereas I feel like her account again is very clear she's like no I was standing there I was looking off in the direction ahead of me I felt a body press up against my back I felt the two skis slide in between my legs we both fell over I believe I fell on top of him um to which I then got up and it was like you crashed into my fucking back like she was very much upset that that a man or somebody else had crashed into her and knocked her over which to me makes sense you're gonna get up you're gonna react like if I were in that position and somebody came in from behind and knocked me down to the ground I would be kind of pissed too. I'd be like, what the hell are you doing? Like, watch where you're going, dumbass. She did apologize in court for her foul language. Um, but like, I get it. Like, she was like, what the fuck are you doing? That's a natural reaction to somebody crashing into you from behind and knocking you over. Versus with him, he just claims that like, he didn't see her coming. She came in like a wrecking ball and just like smashed him into the snow and crushed his ribs. It's possible that he does have damage to his I mean well not possible it's very clear based off of the medical reports that he did have broken ribs and he does have a TBI I just don't think Gwyneth Paltrow is the reason for the accident and I also don't believe she was negligent in you know her reaction or response to the collision 
Also, Mr. Sanderson waiting three years to file his lawsuit. This happened in 2016. He didn't file it until 2019. He held a press conference announcing all of this. He started by suing her for $3 million, and now that it's gone to trial, he's only suing her for $300,000. So to me, there's something a little fishy about that as well. And if you're struck from behind and left unconscious for 10 minutes face down in the snow, but I'm sorry, like, how do you know who hit you? How do you know that they just left you for death? I'm sure his injuries are real. I'm not trying to take that away from him. I'm sure the testimony from his friend saying that his quality of life is different. I'm sure his um, testimony from his daughters who claim that, you know, their dad changed and he was no longer as friendly and he seemed a little more distant and a little more abrupt and abrasive. I believe all of that is real. I believe the fallout from the accident is real, but I do believe he's the one that caused the accident based off of what we've heard so far. He is supposed to take the stand this upcoming week, along with a few other witnesses, Mr. Christensen, Eric Christensen, who is the ski instructor that was with Gwyneth Paltrow. He's one of the other witnesses. So Gwyneth has Christensen and then Sanderson has his buddy that was there. Those are the only two people that are claimed to have witnessed the actual collision. Um, And they both have very different accounts of what happened. Christensen's obviously on Peltro's side. And then this other guy, Sanderson's friend, is clearly on his side. So they're validating each of their recollections of what happened. And it's not matching up. So it really is a he said, she said, or they said, they said, because it's her and her instructor versus this guy and his friend. But to me, it's a very clear case. It's pretty cut and dry, cut and dry negligence case. Either she wins her case or there's not enough evidence for either of them to win. But I don't envision in any world Mr. Sanderson wins his 300000 against her. I just don't think so far from what we've heard, he's been able to prove that she caused this accident. So if anything, I think they both walk away and it's a wash. But... Despite all of that, the trial is thoroughly entertaining. Um, the case might not be as entertaining because it's to me it seems like a pretty obvious cash grab case. But the trial itself, watching the live feeds, is very entertaining. I was thoroughly entertained binging it over the weekend. I recommend watching Emily D. Baker's live coverage on YouTube because she's really funny and she explains things really well. And she's just overall like a great legal commentator and a personal friend of mine who I adore. And I've been texting about the case as well. And usually when I have like legal questions, she's one of my go-tos. I'll like text and voice note with her just to kind of get clarity on certain things. But for the most part, I feel like she's kind of been like a little mentor of mine because I've been able to like answer a lot of things for myself at this point. Um, with this or with the Scandival TRO situation or whatever it is. But I highly recommend, I caught up on it over the weekend. I highly recommend watching it. 10 out of 10. She has great commentary if you want the commentary or there are other YouTube channels that streamed it that you can go and watch the rebroadcasts of. She also kind of puts it a little quicker. I would recommend watching it on like a 1.25 or a 1. Maybe even a 1.8 if you're just watching the trial live stream without any of the commentary because otherwise it does move a little slow. The, the lawyers talk a little slowly. But there's a lot of levity. There's a lot of sass. There is a lot of shade. If you love a good Housewives reunion, you'll love the trial because it's just the the lawyers are cheeky in some moments, but also kind of savvy and snarky with each other in other moments and snarky with people on the stand and just kind of seen 
all of this play out and seeing what people are saying and their reactions. Like one of his daughters was very entertaining to watch because initially she was like crying and getting choked up and over explaining things when she was speaking to her father's attorneys. But then when it was switched and she had to be questioned, then she like very much changed her tone with Owens, who's Paltrow's attorney. When he was questioning her, she was very abrupt. She was very, you know, evasive. She didn't want to answer any of the questions where he'd be like, well, you know, do you agree that this is your sister's account? Because your sister, your other sister, the third sister, she's claiming this. And she's like, well, I don't know what she's claiming because I'm not her. So I can't relate to what she's claiming. So very evasive. Like it's all, it's very good. The the snark and the the sass of it all. I feel like I should be like getting a promo card. I should be like, go you know, type in Zach 20 to watch the Peltro case for 20% off your free live stream. I just think it's fun and it's been enjoyable. I'll continue to recap it. I probably won't do like detailed recaps. Um, maybe I'll do like a weekly update recap, but the trial will continue throughout this week. Paltro has already testified. Um so we have Christensen coming up. We have Mr. Sanderson, who's going to be coming up as well. I know Brad Falchuk, her husband, and both of her kids are coming to court this week as well. So I would imagine after Wednesdays, it's probably going to get a lot more interesting. But leave Gwyneth, leave Kelly Bensimone's friend Gwyneth alone. Okay. All right. Thank you guys for tuning in to today's episode of Hashtag No Filter with Zach Peter. That's me. You can always give me a follow to keep up with me personally at Just Plain Zach, or you can follow the podcast at No Filter with Zach for all the latest show news. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, Just Plain Zach, or youtube.com slash Just Plain Zach, or you can just search Zach Peter on YouTube. I am going to be doing Vanderpump Rules recaps. We're going to be revisiting old episodes of Vanderpump Rules as they relate to the current Scandal drama. So every Sunday for Zach Pack members on YouTube, it's only $2.99 a month, but you can join and become a member of the Zach Pack and get recaps. I have Jeff Epstein and Evan Reel that are coming on the podcast or coming on the YouTube to recap next Sunday. And then the Sunday after that, I'll have on Jess Rothschild from Hot Takes and Deep Dives and Tom Hamlet from the Dumpster Dive podcast. They'll be on and more guests will continue to come on as we recap old school Vanderpump Rules episodes. So if you're a Zach Pack member, you can join that and get your tickets to see me and the Bra Bros live in Philly, April 27th. No filter night out at City Winery in Philly. Go to nofilterlive.com. That's nofilterlive.com to get your tickets now. The links are in the description below. I love you guys. I appreciate you guys. And I will talk to you very, very soon. Book club on Tuesday and then new episode this Wednesday. All right, guys. Ciao for now. Bye.